0: with stringed instruments. It's a Psalm of David. Listen to this. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in anguish. My soul is in deep anguish, How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love among the dead. No one proclaims your name. Who proclaims your name from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me all you who do evil for the Lord has heard my weeping the Lord has heard my cry for mercy the Lord accepts my prayer all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish they will turn back and suddenly be put to shame now there's obviously context there but what a profoundly open and honest prayer I invite you now then to grab a Bible from the end of your pews or your device And I'd love for you to follow Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, verse 1. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just a little bit of um, editorial comment, because there's no commentary that looks at chapter 1 of Habakkuk and doesn't see the voice of Habakkuk, and then God responding, and then Habakkuk responding, and then God responding to him. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received... Habakkuk spoke to God and said, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out, Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted." Yahweh, upon hearing this, the Lord replies, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising, raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose strength is their own God. Habakkuk then replies in verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish of the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? That's what he says to God. And then he, I presume says to himself, or maybe to God, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me what answer i'm to give to this complaint and then the lord replied we'll come to that next week a little bit today all right shall we pray and have a look at this text together father in the face of suffering many of us don't know what to do many of our questions appear unanswered and you appear to us to be silent but we're here at church and we believe in jesus and we say if there is hope there is hope from above but it's not always clear So open my eyes to your work, your strange work, your justice, your mercy. Give me in this moment a willing heart and an honest heart for Christ's sake, amen. So Habakkuk, short book, but important book, three chapters, you can read it in 15 minutes. So it's a commute read, although its message is so profound, so amazing, I suggest not a bus but somewhere where you're expecting gravity, not lightness. This work is 2,600 years old. 2,600 years old. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing that you're gonna read this week that's that old. So we're not talking about the latest book from the self-help section at Dymix. We're talking about ancient wisdom for modern times. Yet it feels culturally foreign to us and historically a long way, but two things remain in Habakkuk that are true today, and one of the re- part of the reason we're here: the suffering remains, right? The pain, but so does the hope. Now, I assume that all of you know about the problem of evil. The problem of evil is a specific term in philosophy and theology, which is this: if there's an all-powerful, who is at the same time an all-good God all-powerful and all-good, then why does anything bad happen? If he's all-powerful, he could stop it. If he's all-good, he'd want to stop it. So why doesn't he or can't he? Why is there anything bad? Why must our faces be ever rubbed into suffering? If you accept the premise of Christianity that there is a good God, then the presence of evil appears to make no sense. And if you don't believe in God, then... You don't have a problem with evil, you've got a problem with good. You don't have a problem with evil because it's going to happen to you. But if there is a God, as we believe, then why can't he or why won't he stop rising floodwaters in Pakistan? Greed in the West, the war in the Ukraine, earthquakes, terrorism, genocide, car accidents, cancer, pornography, child abuse, selfishness. Since all these things exist, God must therefore be not all-powerful, not all-good, or not at all there. So it's a serious issue. And the challenge to the Christian faith. A serious challenge, although many people use the problem of evil as a very simple way to dismiss the Christian faith. Abruptly, you believe in God, then why does all the bad things happen? He doesn't, he's not there. He doesn't exist. I do find it ironic because the Bible doesn't avoid the problem of evil. In fact, the whole Bible is about resolving the problem of evil seems to me to be foolish to reject the Bible on the basis of the problem of evil when that's the basic question that the Bible's asking and answering. Habakkuk deals explicitly with the problem of evil by asking why God don't you deal with the evil as you say you will. Why is there so much suffering? Why don't you fix the world? You could do something you don't. You say you want to do something and you aren't. Now, the Bible deals with this question, not just on a philosophical or theological level, but on a personal level. You experience pain. If not today, then in the past. If not in the past, you will in the future. It is inevitable. And if not you, the person sitting next to you, please, or the world you live in. A Nigerian poet once said, when suffering knocks at your door, and you say that there's no seat for him, he tells you not to worry. Because he's brought his own stool. Once suffering has sat down on his own stool in your household, what would you do then? How will you handle it? How are you handling it right now? And then it begs the question, how do you relate to God in the middle of suffering and wrestling with the problem of evil? And I mean, how do you relate to him realistically? I mean, what does God expect from me, really? In the face of suffering and how does god expect me to love him and serve him if everything is so messy in my life i mean is it just sort of buck up and get in line in habakkuk we have an answer to these questions and more we are given three things to do faced with the problem of evil habakkuk lived about 600 years ago we don't know much about him he speaks in the book about the Babylonian invasion, which is 587 years before Christ. So we presu- we, he spoke not long before the Babylonian siege and capture of Jerusalem. It's a real book. Here's a copy of Habakkuk from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's an ancient book. And yet he spoke about real geopolitical pain, as real as what's happening in the Ukraine today. Although, on the surface, the same thing happened, an invading nation, we must not make the mistake of saying that what happens in Habakkuk is an immediate parallel to what's happening in the Ukraine. God had a special relationship with his people, Israel, and had made promises to them that if they disobey him, that a nation will come and take over. That's, that promise has not been made to the people of the Ukraine. But there are secondary implications to suffering across the book. Habakkuk looked at the problem in Judah, in southern Israel, and he saw only bloodshed and lying and people mistreating others and he asked of God what the Sam Hill is going on and so he makes a response to God the first thing you learn in Habakkuk we've been given permission to do so by his words is to wrestle with God he complains to God with a robustness that many of us seem to lack He's not afraid to speak his mind. A little bit like Job. But unlike Job, Habakkuk actually gets an answer. But like Job, the answer is not entirely satisfactory from a human point of view. A summary of these verses that were just read out to us. Prophecy is unique among the minor prophets, meaning the, the shorter ones, and unique among the major ones, too, save perhaps Jeremiah, in that the prophecy to Israel and then to the world comes in the form of a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, Habakkuk says to God, How long, O oh Lord, before you deal with the sin? Why aren't you doing anything? In uh, verses 5 to 11, Yahweh or God says, replies, I'll deal with the sin in Judah by raising the Babylonians. Triple blood. Habakkuk naturally responds, really? You know, but you can't tolerate wrong. so why why do this? And Yahweh resolves the issue in chapters 2, really, by saying, wait for it, an end will come to all evil, and then in chapter 3, Habakkuk gives us a stunning psalm. I'll lead that up for a few moments. Follow me in the text, He says to god 1 verse 2 how long lord must i call for help but you do not listen or cry out violence but you do not save these aren't questions they're accusations they're not a question a question will be how long O lord and god says oh about a year okay i'll mark it in my calendar and just sit around waiting for it no this is like i call for help i cry violence and you don't listen you don't save why do you make me look at injustice why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You shouldn't be tolerating these things. And he goes on and says, because you tolerate these things, because you remain silent, destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and comfort to violence. verse four. Therefore the law, the Torah is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. In the morning services people have lived in lawless societies and they say this is what it's like and we have some laws in our society that appears to be functioning and there's police and you can go to the courts and even though the police and the courts as good as they are in australia are limited in what they can achieve in terms of justice it is fair to say that we it's hard to imagine a society that degenerates in the way that judah had degenerated then but habakkuk is saying here i can see what's happening if i were god i'd do something i want to and i can't god you can and you won't it's an unusual prayer somewhat bold so how then will god respond to habakkuk's accusations because how how god responds will tell you a lot about the god whom we know today will god strike him down for his audacity Will he squat him like a fly? Will he ignore his plea? Will he say something like, Inshallah, it is the will of God? You know, will he say, um, the, problem is, the problem is, you've got desires. Have a cuck for, uh, you know, for something. You must have attachments. Maybe you should let go of your attachments. What does he say? God gives Habakkuk an answer, a strange one. God says he'll deal with the evil in a way that the Israelites could not have imagined. They wouldn't believe even if they were told, even though they were told in the Torah. In verse 5, God answers uh, Habakkuk saying, Look at the nations, the geopolitical situation, watch, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I love that verse. I don't like the next one. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Verse 5 is fascinating. I'm doing something in your days you wouldn't believe even if you're told. This is one of my favorite verses because it seems to me to be the origin of the phrase, you ain't going to believe it. You ain't going to believe this. What ain't you going to believe? That I'll use the Babylonians to enact my just judgment. Babylonians are the ancient Iraqis, also known as, then as Chaldeans. This map shows you where the Babylonians were in relation to Judah and the journey they took to take Judah in 587 bc after this prophecy god is saying you thought judah was evil you had a problem with judah wait till you see how i'll deal with the sin i'll do something to you even more horrible to show judah how seriously i take sin there'll be bloodshed there'll be an exile i'm raising up a nation worse than judah to punish them the very thing promised in the torah deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 5. now anyone here think this is strange i do first time I read this, I thought it was strange. I was a bit embarrassed by it. But God isn't embarrassed. He doesn't say, I'm raising up the... um, The who? The Babylonians. Did you just say the Babylonians? God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. And then God himself tells Habakkuk what he already knows. How bad these people are. Verse 7, they're feared and dreaded. Lord of themselves. They promote their own honor, says God. God describes their horses, which are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. God describes their cavalry, which gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They come intent on violence. God sort of says, this is like the original Blitzkrieg. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They have their POW camps, but they don't treat them well. They mock kings, scoff at rulers. They laugh at the fortified cities, building earthen ramps to capture them. Such sophistication. They sweep past like the wind and go on guilty people whose strength is their own God. This is God's strange work. There'll be blood shed and an exile or a banishment. How will then Habakkuk respond? What would your response be? well he gets a bit more cautious chapter 1 verse 12 lord are you not from everlasting my god my holy one you will never die you lord have appointed them to execute judgment you my rock have ordained them to punish your eyes are too pure to look on evil you cannot tolerate wrongdoing when i was a kid at youth group this passage was used to explain the need for christ's atoning sacrifice for me you know I was told God's eyes are too pure to look on evil I do wrong things he can't look at me while ever I have that evil God has to do something about that that's why he sends Christ to die trust him now I believe that 100,000 percent but the original context your eyes are too pure to look on evil is Habakkuk holding God to account for his own words you can't tolerate wrongdoing God you've told us that so why then do you tolerate the treacherous why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves and then verses 14 to 15 are a beautiful and sad image god if you won't do anything then you've made people like the fish of the sea like sea creatures that have no ruler that's what we're like if you don't act it's just the survival of the fittest that's the only way The strongest person or nation becomes god you know you scuba divers got your head above water it's possible to see justice oh the police are coming i can see there's a town over there with a court if you pop your head under the water doesn't matter what disney says under the sea doesn't matter what disney says what's under the sea is fish eat fish fishermen pulling things up there's no justice under the ocean no courts no cops That's what we like, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, the wicked foe Babylon pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Is might right? He sacrifices to his net, burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food, destroying others. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Now, this is Babylon to Judah, and therefore specific to the plans and purposes of God leading up to the life of Jesus, the covenants. But, you know, you could ask the same thing as of Putin. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying this nation, maybe others, without mercy? Who's going to stop him? So there you go. When you have a problem with evil and the apparent lack of activity or the silence of God, the first thing you can do is complain, to wrestle with Him, even if in the moment it feels irreverent. Pray to Him, struggle with Him, ask Him questions, hold Him to account, put down your case, talk to Him. Now, I know that the coming of Jesus answers some of the questions of the prophets and the Psalms. But nonetheless, we are still waiting for an end to evil and you live in a world with suffering. I believe you are being given permission here and in the Psalms and elsewhere to wrestle with God. Now some qualifications, things to say. Firstly, complaining doesn't mean that you are ungrateful. Not necessarily. It could mean that. It doesn't have to mean that. Complaining doesn't mean that you hate the person you are complaining to. You might love them might care, that's why, you, why, why you're praying, why you're interacting. Complaining doesn't mean the end of the relationship. That person might surprise you with grace, especially if you're speaking with them and being honest with them. Complaining doesn't mean that you're whinging or whining. It might doesn't have to mean that. It might mean that maybe for the first time ever, you're expressing real concerns that come from your heart Maybe you never thought you could relate to God like this. Maybe you thought God wouldn't want to listen to you. Jürgen Moltmann, in his reflection on the Psalms, for prayer, sighing, complaining, and crying out for God, not religious performances, they are realistic expressions of the abyss into which people have fallen. Realistic expressions of the abyss into which people have fallen and in which they discover their own hearts. You can gain something by your honesty with God. Three reasons to wrestle. One, you might discover his love, maybe for the first time. Stay with me here. I think some of us have a low view of complaining because of the way we were brought up. When parents complain, it's the truth. When a kid complains about the parent, it's called insolence. Parents can say you treat this place like a hotel. Parents can bring a list of faults to their child and do. But it's not easy for a child to bring a list of faults to their parent now there are good reasons for that i believe that god has established an order in the world of respect and authority but here's my hat tip to father's day it's not the complete picture if you're a parent it's not the complete picture if you're a friend a parent who loves their child does not want to squash the thoughts and feelings and struggles of a child, particularly when their child actually comes to them in the first place. A loving parent listens and absorbs. When the child says nothing, she goes numb, or he says things behind their back. Dorothy Briggs wrote this a long time ago, and I've always loved it. The child, who openly expresses hostility to you, actually hands you a double bouquet. First, you have reared her with enough strength to stand up for herself. She is no wilted violet. She is no wilted violet. Habakkuk is no wilted violet. And, secondly, you have made him feel safe to express himself directly. Can you see this in Habakkuk? So, if your child says, I can't stand you, or I wish I had so-and-so as a parent, then pat yourself on the back, you've done a good job. (laughs) Now, you know, the book is written to parents who are reaching out in pain. Maybe it's an overstatement, but there's truth here. It's interesting that a caring God wants you to be real. That's what a loving God does. The second thing is you have precedence, and you lawyers out there and pedants have already realized that I've misspelled precedence. I think it's with an E-N-T-S. You've got precedence. Uh, People in the Bible wrestle with God all the time. Job, for example. I find it interesting that the prophets didn't have such a low view of complaining. The Psalms is full of people complaining and exhorting God to act and calling God to account. Plenty of examples that I've put in your um, news sheet. Jeremiah 20. O God, you've deceived me, you lied to me. He didn't, but that's how he felt. Lamentations, in my heart, I'm disturbed. Job 7, I will complain to God in the bitterness of my soul. Psalm 6 read to us a moment ago, I am worn out from my groaning. Psalm 22 of David, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mark 14, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane read to us between our first two songs, God, I don't want to die surely another way take this cup from me and in the book of Revelation the refrain how long O Lord now that's in the Old Testament but I believe that Christians in the New Testament have even more reason to be confident with God because God has opened up a new and bold relationship with us because Christ has died He's dealt with our sin, so we have this open relationship with him. Now, we keep the order, he's God and I'm not. Look at the way we conclude our service today. But he still loves us and wants us to be honest with him. Many Christians still have plastic prayers. Ephesians 3, verse 12, In him and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Colossians 4, verse 12, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. That's the traction word. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now some of you might be thinking, what about the Israelites complaining in the desert after the Exodus? Didn't they complain and the ground opened up and swallowed them? Well, look at this verse in Deuteronomy. Moses says, but you were unwilling to go up You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled. Isn't that what Habakkuk did? You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Grumbling, complaining, Amorites, Babylonians. Isn't it the same thing? Why does one person get rewarded, Habakkuk, and one group, the Israelites, get judged? The is there in the text. Can you see it? They grumbled in their tents. That's being put there for a reason. They grumbled in their tents, saying, the Lord hates us. They didn't speak with God. They went to their tents. They mumbled about it in private. They didn't bring their anxiety to God in faith. They avoided God by spreading cynical remarks about him in the community. So, Friends, no more grumbling in your tents. Note that Habakkuk is actually praying. He's speaking up to God in faith, not mumbling in cynicism. Mumbling is a half a complaint. No more mumbling. Four complaints, I say. We're going to sing in a moment's time. So teach my song to rise to you. So teach my song to rise to you when testing comes my way instead of in the tents when i cannot stand i'll fall on you jesus you're my hope and stay and the third thing you might gain if you wrestle is that you might get an answer Um, if you don't wrestle you won't get an answer you'll get cliches and memes and you know quite frankly that's if you're on facebook you just says meme after meme after meme and in many ways, just sort of positive comments, intended to... I don't know what they're intended to do, but you don't have to rely on memes. You can go to God and get an answer. I don't believe you can simply hold on to clichés and grit your teeth, praying correct prayers, guessing the mind of God, that's what Job's friends did, look what happened to them. Habakkuk has what you call an active faith in the real world, traction with God. I take it if you never complain, you'll never receive an answer, not one that satisfies, and if you do, you may get an answer. Habakkuk gets an answer. I'll deal with the problem. I'll deal with all of it. will come to that next week. But the answer in Habakkuk has to do with the story of Good Friday and of Easter Day, which is why this is not Old Testament versus New Testament. The answer in Habakkuk leads us to the life of jesus and of god wrestling evil to the ground on good friday blood shed an exile a banishment of jesus on the cross and of jesus being raised having dealt the final blow to evil as the victor habakkuk doesn't know that i will stand at my watch 2 verse 1 station myself on the ramparts legs apart looking out i will look to see what he will say to me and what answer i am to give to this complaint i'm ready then the Lord replied, and I love, by the way, what, I, what appears to me to be an, a gentle, calm, non-anxious response. Chapter 2, verse 2, then the Lord replied, write this down, Habakkuk. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Write this down, send it on its way. I'm glad that he did. That's why we have this book in our hands today. What is the revelation? The answer to his complaint. 2 verse 3, the revelation awaits an appointed time, a moment in the future. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The second thing to do is wait, but I get ahead of myself. That's next week. What is the moment in which God did something about the sin in Judah? And the answer is the Babylonian attack in 587 BC, bloodshed and exile. What about the sin in Babylon? Well, that gets an end to the arrival of the Persians, Medes, the Medes. But what about the sin in our hearts? How does God deal with that? Well this is the story of Jesus Christ and in the next few sermons I want to show you how the story of Good Friday and Easter Day is God's strange answer to the problem of evil and indeed the answer to Habakkuk's and our wrestling hearts. Page after page of the Bible is God showing us how he deals with the problem of evil. Each page uniquely gives us help And today, the help is that we need to wrestle with God. But the story about Jesus is the story of his defeat of evil, but in the strangest way, blood shed and an exile of one. Martin Luther called Jesus' death God's strange work. Habakkuk could have called the Babylonian invasion as God's strange work. God said to Habakkuk, you're not going to believe this even if you were told and I could say of the sufficiency of the death of Jesus Christ, you ain't going to believe this, even if you were told. But the first thing we learn is this in a world of pain, wrestle with God, pray to Him, traction, ask Him why, be honest with Him, He knows what you think already. Be strong with Him, He's big enough to cope, and He is full of grace. Let me pray. Father, teach my song to rise to you when testing, when temptation come my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus is my hope and stay. Father, we live in this world. It's a real world. It's, there is genuine pain and suffering. And we want to take the permissions that are granted here and elsewhere in the Bible of total honesty with you, of pouring out our heart to you and learning again how to pray in this honest and real way thank you for jesus for his atoning sacrifice and for making it possible to approach you with freedom and confidence so help us to do that now for christ's sake amen